This week on the Jay Doherty Podcast, we take a look at the Mueller report and analyze the very consistent strategies both Democrats and Republicans use during the testimony. Also, the traditionally quiet former President Barack Obama has taken a recent public stance against Donald Trump, as evidenced by a tweet that linked to a recent op-ed co-signed by nearly 150 Democrats condemning Trump's go-back comments. Finally, we'll talk about why Trump attacked Congressman Elijah Cummings about the conditions of his district after Cummings has criticized the Trump administration's inhumane conditions at the border. You'll find out why I think this attack is particularly vexatious. All of that and more on episode 94 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. That is correct, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here for episode number 94 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Sunday, July 28th, 2019, 1.14 p.m. as we come on the air right now. The waves of the interwebs. Thank you for being here. So there's a lot to talk about, lots of that happened in the news. Special Counsel Robert Mueller, of course, testified. We'll talk about uh, my post-analysis of that. We had live coverage, of course, in the nearly six-hour and 30-minute episode special edition of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Very interesting episode. One that I was very, very happy to produce and uh, took quite some time. But we got it all done. You can listen to it right on the JD Media Network at j-doherty.com. Also, uh, Barack Obama's back in the news. He retweeted a Washington Post op-ed uh, written by black uh, Americans, three of three black Americans, uh, and it was co-signed by 149 uh, African Americans uh, who wanted, who basically uh, wanted to reiterate the claims and the support that uh, that the writers of this article wanted to display uh, towards. Uh, Ilhan Omar, and basically the general tone and consistent tone of racism within the Trump administration. Also, we'll talk about uh, why I think these attacks against Elijah Cummings that spout from the president are particularly maddening, uh, and we'll talk about exactly why I think these attacks, especially given the attacks that preceded them, are just... It's it's gotten to be too much, in my opinion. So uh, we'll talk about that. But first, we got to talk about the Mueller testimony. So this Mueller testimony has taken up so much time on on networks. It's been hyped up so much, uh, but it really comes down, in my opinion, to two strategies. Republicans wanted to waste Mueller's time and rant about why the president did nothing wrong, which echoes, of course, the same uh, previous statements that the president has spewed out of his mouth, like total exoneration, no collusion, and many more. But uh, as you may have heard, uh, the only phrase that Mueller wanted to hear, uh, wanted to use at least, was uh, exoneration. That he didn't want. He wanted to stay away from the word collusion because it's been politicized uh, by the president so much. But uh, you know, Republicans really just wanted to run the clock out with them speaking, with the lawmakers speaking. They didn't want Mueller to respond. They didn't want to make the president look bad or, uh, you know, point anything out to them that they were even saying wrong. In many cases, the Republicans actually did say things that were borderline untrue. Uh, so, you know, there were, there were certain cases where Mueller wanted to interject or at least uh, could have wanted to correct 
the uh, Republicans making those statements, but the, but uh, Mueller did not interfere in most cases unless they were drastically uh, incorrect, uh, and basically the Republicans ended almost every statement by just saying his investigation was unfair, it cut too close to the president, it cut too close to the president's friends, his associates, and things like that. The amount of subpoenas that were issued, it was just unnecessary in their opinion. So that's what Republicans did. That was their general strategy. But Democrats, on the other hand, just like they are in most everything to Republicans compared to them, uh, polar opposite. They're completely opposite. They had the complete opposite strategy, the complete opposite mentality. They wanted Mueller to spill any information that would be damaging to the president. And then also, uh, not only that, but also go beyond restating what was in the original report. That was... um, what the the critics' worst fear was, that Mueller would basically just read fragments of the report, not really go into any information that would be uh, additional, and actually not only additional, but also useful to Congress in making the president look bad politically. Now, Democrats were also mad that Mueller said that he's not going to address anything uh, related to the report after he published it. In other words, in late May, when this report uh, came out, he didn't want any uh, uh, anything else to come out about it, he didn't want, or I'm sorry, that he didn't want to talk about it, uh, the, what, the happenings after that, especially after Attorney General Bill Barr, who has done a lot of things that the, that Democrats are criticizing, uh, saying that, because Mueller, you know, basically, even though he wrote the report, Bill Barr, who was appointed by the president, a lifelong Republican, and even a former Attorney General himself, has the call over whether or not the president can, you know, can face criminal charges, and, now, Mueller had the option to indict. Mueller had the option to recommend an indictment, although he did not. He just conducted the investigation, said that he couldn't, uh, you know, come to a conclusion as to whether or not, constitutionally and legally and ethically and basically ethics were the ones where the uh, and ethics and logistics were the things that stood in Mueller's way of making him create a, uh, you know, a a, a decision as to whether or not the pre- a sitting president of the United States could be indicted. And we'll talk about the response from Democrats on, the, in, on that in a second, because it's really interesting uh, when you hear Mueller uh, ask, uh, or when, when you hear a member of Congress ask Mueller, if the, if the president was not the president, or he was you know a former president, could he be indicted? And the answer that he gives is pretty shocking and damaging to the president, of course. But... Um, yeah, basically, Bill Barr, who was appointed by Trump, a loyal Trump friend and a very conservative person, had the call as to whether or not Trump would be indicted, and of course, Trump has done a lot of things for him, so he's not going to indict him uh, based on not just that. I mean, there there is uh, a lot of ethics rules that go into um, sitting uh, to indicting a sitting U.S. president, so that is the case there. There were a couple points that were made, though, specifically in the investigation, four things, four sentences you really need to take away. Uh, nothing more. You don't even have to watch or listen to the six-hour testimony, although if you're doing nothing, I recommend it. The four points are as follows. Russia interfered in the election to help Trump and hurt Hillary Clinton. That is a true statement that was proven not only in the report, but also in the testimony. The Trump campaign was thrilled about that effort, and Trump was involved in business dealings with Russia and the discussions of of the construction of Trump Tower in Moscow. In Moscow. So that is what you know. That's what that's what has been affirmed by Democrats in this hearing, and also was been uh, affirmed in uh, in the, in the actual report. 
But even then, the dummy can see that Trump still states that there was no collusion, no obstruction, total exoneration, that this whole thing is a witch hunt. In fact, the other day, Trump tweeted out just randomly, basically out of literally nowhere, Trump just said, uh, to total exoneration, all in caps, Democrat witch hunt, this is fake, all that, uh, you know, r you know, regular uh, attacks. And he only he not only did it uh, on, on that aspect, but he also did it... Um, to a specific member of the U.S. Congress, which we will talk about in a second. Uh, so, very, very uh, interesting there. I think the Mueller report was uh, was not that eventful. I don't think, you know, everyone was trying to draw a conclusion, all the analysts, all the political, uh, and you know, experts, trying to draw conclusions. Who was this win, who was this uh report a victory for? Who won in this? And really, the answer is no one. I really don't think anyone did, including the American people, because there really wasn't that much information. It was just, you know, affirmation, confirmation that the points were legitimate. And the ironic part is, you know, Mueller has been a lifelong conservative. He still is conservative, just, you know, maybe not a Trump supporter per se. Um, but, uh, Democrats were the ones thanking him for his service, and Republicans were the ones yelling at him for interfering in the president's personal and uh, public life. So that's that's the irony in this whole thing. But before this is, I'm talking about everything that happened after the event. All this anal uh, this you know, analysis, um, all all this stuff with Democrats and their strategy. That's the over the overview, the long picture. But what about the day to day aspect of this investigation? Well, on the day that this testimony was held in uh, on the House Judiciary Committee and also the House Intelligence Committee, two separate hearings with a long recess in in the middle of both of them, and then a short break in each of them. Uh, which you can listen to on uh, the Jay Doherty Podcast, episode 93. Uh, Trump was very worried before this happened. Uh, Fifteen minutes before the event began, Trump tweeted, Why didn't Mueller and his band of 18 angry Democrats spend any time invested crook investigating crooked Hillary, Lyon and Leakin, James Comey, Lisa Page, and her psycho lover, lover Peter Strzok, or he says Peter S., Andy McCabe, the beautiful Orr family, Fusion GPS, and many more, including himself and Andrew W., now that was 15 minutes before uh, the de uh, before the testimony, and you could tell he was watching Fox News because there was a slew of tweets that came after that. Basically, uh, you quoted Fox News anchors like Chris Wallace and, and others uh, on that uh, debate. Uh, I'm sorry, on that testimony and, and Fox's coverage. Uh, but I want to highlight some of the questions that met, that Democrats uh, questioned Mueller on in this testimony. For example, Z uh, Zoe Lofgren, who is uh, a Democrat from California, she sits on the Judiciary Committee as a regular member. She asked Mueller, did your investigation find that the Russian government perceived it would benefit from one of the candidates winning? Winnings. Or, yeah, she, I guess her words was winning. Uh, Mueller said yes. And then Miss uh, Lofgren said, who would that candidate be? Or said Donald Trump. So that's point blank exactly what happened. And that is basically undebatable, especially when Mueller is saying this completely under oath and reiterating the basic points of his uh, report. Val Dennings is a Democrat from Florida. She asked a true or false question to uh, Mueller. She said, lies by Trump campaign officials and administration officials impeded your investigation. Mueller said, yes, I generally agree, which is basically the way that 
the way of saying yes, I do, because he never said I fully agree. His language, as advised by his counsel, was yes, I generally agree. That is a very uh, ambiguous statement that allows, uh, you know, if anyone was to come back and and uh, haunt him, uh, you know, in saying that, well, you agreed to this when it's untrue, he said generally he can go back and just say that phraseology was uh, not indicative of a specific point. But also, uh, Mueller goes on by saying, I think there are a spectrum of witnesses in, th- in terms of those who are not not telling the full truth, and those are outright liars. So that that's what he said, and, and I think that is a very broad statement and a perfect response on Mueller's part into what uh, Democrats wanted to hear, and he did a great job on that, in my opinion. Uh, uh, Sylvia Garcia uh, is a representative on one of these committees, and she said, what if I had made a false statement to an investigator on your team? Would I go to jail? Mueller quickly responded, yes. So, that's what you need to know. That's really what you need to know. Those are those three congresswomen asking uh, Trump, or excuse me, asking Mueller about Trump in his investigation on this testimony, and also those two strategies by Republicans. Republicans wanted to waste his time. Democrats wanted him to spill anything. Mueller wanted to talk during Republicans. He didn't want to talk to Democrats. It was just a total irony, the whole event, and it was a, it was an interesting event, very entertaining, and uh, Mike Quigley and Raja Krishnamurthy had a great, great time during it. They're both Illinois congressmen. Quigley represents my district, and I was very proud to see what happened there. Quigley actually made some headlines asking about the Mueller investigation and the Mueller testimony, but that's basically the overall. Uh, the overall point. Now, Trump has now, it's, it's July 28th, this this uh, testimony was just on uh, Wednesday, and Trump has time to digest it. And of course, he's going to digest it with his favorite media buddy of all time, Mr. Sean Hannity, one that the president has quoted many times, saying that he's a great person and many things like that. He did not appear in person on his show, uh, on Sean Hannity's show yesterday, uh, or no, I guess it would be the day before, it would be Thursday night, after he digested all the information in the Mueller report. He basically reiterated everything that he said, except he took it to a new extreme when Hannity asked him this. Why is it important to get to the bottom of this from your perspective? Because this should never happen to another president of the United States again. This was a fake witch hunt, and it should never be allowed to happen to another president again. This was treason. This was high crimes. This was everything as as bad a definition as you want to come up with. This should never be allowed to happen to our country again. Well, okay, that's a little bit extreme, Mr. President. I, I do think this this was not treasonous whatsoever. This was a fair investigation, of, and, and all of this money is as reiterated by top Democrats like Nancy Pelosi, Jerry Nadler, Elijah Cummings, and others. This is being paid for. This is going to be a rebate, and I'll talk. That's a whole other subject. I don't even want to get into that. But that is the case. This is being. This is. Of course, every, everyone pays for something anyway. You know, this is not. Nothing is free, but. The way the points that he's made, talking about money in the past and things like that, they're not completely accurate, and they're actually pretty deceiving, just like many of his tweets are. So that's the Mueller report, and that's what happened uh, in in the Mueller testimony yesterday. 
Now, uh, I also want to point out just a big shout-out uh, to Steve Cochran of WGN Radio, who actually was kind enough to have me on his show to talk about my perspective on politics. And if, if you don't know, Steve Cochran is a, a Chicago radio host from WGN Radio on AM720. You can listen to my interview on WGNRadio.com. I also want to play it on here just because I talked about the Mueller report and everything like that. Of course, needless to say, all these rights and everything go to WGN. I'm not too you know, taking uh, their content anyway, but I just want to say and give a big shout out to uh, Steve Cochran, his producer Michael Heideman, uh, Joe, the producer, Dave Ennett, uh, Mary Vandeveld, and uh, all the other, and Steve Grzanich, of course, all the other uh, phenomenal producers and people that make his show uh, existent. I want to thank them and also play what I had to say about politics in general and the general state of politics on WGN Radio, on this podcast, and I want to thank them, of course. This is kind of my way of hopefully saying thank you to them. You can listen to the full interview on their website as well. This was at about 8.40 a.m. Central Standard Time, and I claim no rights to uh, WGN Radio's content and, of course, the legendary Bill Curtis's voice. The Steve Cochran Show on 720 WGN. Dave Annett, Steve Rosanich, Mary Vanderbilt. What do I always say? I always say we need more, more young people dedicated to being involved in politics. You say it all the time. The knowledge of politics, the knowledge of how the country is run, people to keep an eye on the government, people to make it better. You know why, Dave? Because you and I are almost in a home. No, that's not why. We're going to get adjoining rooms. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> at some, I can drive you there. <laughs> at some point, the young people do have to step up, though. The generation right? has to, because they are historically turn out low in elections, and that has to change at some point. I'd like to introduce you to the Hope for the Future. Jay Doherty is here. Jay, how are you? I'm great. How are you? We like Jay a lot around here, and he's uh, he's in several times a, a week for the summer. Where do you go to school? I go to the Latin School of Chicago. And what year are you there? I'm going to be a sophomore next year. So I'm 14, 15? I'm 15. 15 years old. 15, yeah. uh, where did your interest in politics come from? Uh, well, I actually started in like media. I really liked watching the production side of like news and how they could get breaking news so quickly. And then okay. I kind of became absorbed in the content of it. And then I was like, wow, this is actually really interesting. It affects my life and affects uh, everyone's life. And would you agree that most people your age don't get that? Yeah, I mean, generally, but there, there is, when you explain it and kind of break it down where it's not just all huge documents that scare people, it really, I think it, it puts it more in perspective, but yeah, generally, I agree. Jay does a podcast, which we can get where? Uh, at j-d-o-h-e-r-t-y.com. jdoherty.com um, is on website. He's done 92 episodes. Super Joe, how many episodes of my podcast have I done? About 10, 15? Yeah, yeah, right around there. Um, and on that podcast, you have guests, I'm sure, but you also talk about your views on, on politics. Right. That's correct. Uh, this week, a continued discussion over Trump's racist tweets. Uh, and Elon Musk back in the news, he was talking about chips surgically inserted into your brain. Yep. And the anniversary of Apollo 11, which, of course, Apollo 11, Dave, happened, I believe, 35 years before Jay was born. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that'd be about right. Yeah. I think that's 15, exactly right. Yeah. 
Um, and again, you can get this at j-doherty.com. So do you identify as a Republican or a Democrat or an independent? Uh, independent, really. Because, Amen, brother. Yeah, See you at the party. I know. I, I hear you say, you know, both sides have gone so far left yep. and right. It's really hard to choose. Yep. we got to stay in the middle and try to get the other folks in the middle involved. 100%. So what do you think about the Mueller testimony? I thought it was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, I thought he would be a little bit more... Uh, composed in his sentences. He was—he clearly knew everything about the report. He was obviously the head uh, person in that uh, in that investigation. But uh, he did—he did have a little bit of trouble, from what I saw, kind of forming sentences and getting his thoughts. But to be fair, I mean, Congress was pressing him, asking a lot of double negative questions, and really just trying to get him to spill any information. Right. So they have their five-minute showcase to try to make him look like a jerk. He had two years of putting this thing together. Right. Right. Uh, did you uh, think the Democrats or the Republicans won the day? Or does it matter? Uh, I don't know if it really matters for the for the general public. I think it matters to them, obviously, because they want to score political points uh, out of this testimony. Uh, but. Um, Republicans really wanted to just yell at Mueller, saying, "You know, you went on, uh, you, you, you know, went on this witch hunt for so long," which is what Trump said. They kind of echoed his whole message of no collusion. Well, the Democrats They're like Ewoks. <laughs> you know, don't get them wet. Don't feed them after midnight. And the other things you're not supposed to do to Ewoks. Do you remember Ewoks? You probably uh, yes, don't remember do. Ewoks. So you do remember Ewoks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think those are but gremlins. I think you're thinking of the gremlins, yeah. Steve. Oh, they are. Yeah. yeah, you don't feed gremlins after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> what do the Ewoks do? Do they eat early? Yeah, they just make noise. They go to early bird. <laughs> Walk around in the woods. Good reference, Steve. Uh, are you optimistic about the future? Yeah, I think I am. And I think uh, the it's hard to see right now in terms of politics and the next president. But I think uh, somehow America always gets through everything. So I think we'll be, we'll, we'll be okay. Well, we're going to need you. We're going to need you. Could you see yourself running for office someday? I mean, you're 15 now. Could you see yourself running for office? Maybe. I think it's fun to more cover it, actually, from my experience. But I, that's the only thing I've done. I haven't run for office, so I don't know. There have been people that have discussed it with me through the years, and a lot of people I know, of course, are in or have or have talked about it. One of the things that people, and I'm talking about good people, not me, good people. I'm talking about good people who uh, hesitate to be a part of it now because they don't believe they could, you know, affect change because it's so screwed up. Does it feel screwed up to you? Yeah, a little bit. I think I think uh, the rhetoric from the the uh, administration right now is really what puts uh, what makes it screwed up in your words. So I, I don't uh, think you know in terms of policy, Trump is just very very right leaning. Uh, but I think the rhetoric makes the left go crazy and makes everyone be become upset just with these tweets. You know, with these four uh, congresswomen that, who have right. now been deemed the squad. You know, all that type of stuff that gets people all fired up. Um, while his policy is really just moderate traditional conservative policy. If I asked you to name how many other 15-year-olds are into politics, could you name them? Uh, and would it take not very long? No. Yeah, I could not name them. It would, it would take... What do your friends think about you being into it? Uh, I, I think... Well, there's there's a couple people. It's not like no one's... I mean, there's there's a couple people that are interested. But do you I, take... Do you get grief about knowing stuff about politics? Are you the political nerd? Or, or do they think, well, it's cool. It's your thing. Yeah, I think that's the second one is really more more the 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 consensus. <laughs> Steve Grzanich has a question for. Are you taking questions? Yeah, of course. Okay, Steve Grzanich yeah, says but, it, says. Do you want to identify your uh, your yes, your work? Uh, Steve Grzanich, the Weekly Reader. Um, <laughs> I just was curious. You know, by the time you're 50, um, climate uh, situation is going to be here 
whether we like it or not. And what, by situation, you mean the worst effects? The of worst, it. yeah, yeah, the worst effects. Right. How how is that changing how you view politics these days? Is that making you want to get more involved or not? Yeah, I think it is. I think um, there's been a lot of uh, outreach to young people, specifically about the climate issue. Uh, I haven't. I've been following it just as kind of another uh, message or another uh, headline in in the news. But I think that climate, at least in this administration, is being overlooked so heavily. And I think uh, if you know. Even if it's a Republican who gets reelected, if it's Donald Trump or down the road, whoever it is, I think they'll just be forced to face it because the, with from all the science we know, I mean, it, it really is a very scary uh, situation that w- that could happen if, you know, climate change, w- which has been proven to exist, were to actually ensue the way scientists have predicted. Um, one texter says the problem with younger people is they vote with their hearts and not their minds. Um, I would accuse probably most voters of that. Yeah, I I think that's very true. I think again that goes back to the taking Trump's rhetoric more ser- seriously than his policy. Um, mostly just because Trump is the one who writes the rhetoric, and the um, you know the analysts and the people behind the scenes write the policies, and he just signs off on them for the most part. Yeah, no, he doesn't understand it, but that's just my opinion. Uh, in the meantime, I will tell you this, uh, and, and I don't know if you'll agree or disagree with this, but, um, you know, you're smarter than I am, and, you know, you got that going for you. But uh, all I want is for the President of the United States to be the President of the United States, not the President of the Republicans, right. not Barack Obama previously being the President of the Democrats. 100%. Obviously, you're going to lean to help the people that got you there, and at times you'll have to take their side. But to be so partisan and so insulting... Uh, demeans the office in a way that it's never been demeaned in my lifetime, and that net effect will go on. Uh, there was a guy that used to be the governor of this state named Rod Blagojevich. You might right. have heard of him. Yes. Uh, Blagojevich's damage that he did to this state can't completely be quantified. Right. But he is absolutely part and parcel to why we are so far underwater and uh, the pension problems that we have and the other problems we have because for the uh, uh, seven, eight years that he was actually in the governor's chair before he was thrown out and put in jail, he didn't do the job. And Trump is not doing the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, look, we need you. And you got to be 35 to run. Right. Steve, I'm going to try to get that changed to 17. I want to give Jay another year or so to, you know, get uh, a little more veteran status under him. But by 17, I'd like him in the White House. Can we pull that off? Uh, I don't see why not. I think, uh, you know, his generation, if they want to change the rules, they can do whatever they want. So, do you think we ought to be able to vote online? Online, uh, well, I think you have to, you have to look at the big picture and make sure the security software would be you know completely secure. And can't and, you fix that? Don't you uh, write code for fun? <laughs> well, yeah, I could, I could I could find someone who could fix it. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I love how Jay sits next to Walter Jacobson, where his desk is. It confuses Dave. Uh, how Dave doesn't know which one because they're both doing politics. Are you learning a lot from Walter Jay? Yeah, I've just observed him. He's very diligent in everything that he does, and I've listened to. A Do you know how big a deal Walter Jacobson is? Chicago. Yeah, I know. He's and you're awesome. hanging out with him. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, he's Walter Cronkite. He's your cubicle buddy. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, and uh, he's a good guy to talk to and learn stuff from, too. Yeah, definitely. And he also usually has a pretty thick wallet if you want to lift it when he's not looking. What? Did I say that out loud? No. We're kidding, Jay. Right. Jay, give him your website again. 
J-A-Y-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y.com. We're going to need you again. Will you be willing to do the show again? Do you feel of like course. this went well? Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me. Okay. We're going to definitely want you back. All right. Thank you so Jake much. Jake says a lot more when he's on the air than he does off the air because he never says anything. Very well, quiet. Because he's, he's, he's very respectful. Quiet. And then I frighten him because <laughs> the, one of the first days he was here, he brought in giant chocolate chip cookies. So I nicknamed him Cookie Man. Mm-hmm. It's like a mental patient. I walk out of the office and I yell, Cookie Man! And that, that's frightening. You know, for anyone. I don't care how old you are. Yeah. So this is a much better thing because we had a conversation like a couple of grown-ups or Jay and me. And why did the giant cookie stop? <laughs> I think that's the first question he's going to need to answer as a politician. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, buddy. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really J-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y dot com. That's my interview with uh, Steve Cochran on 720 WGN. It was incredible. I am so grateful for the experience, and I hope you can listen to it as well. Again, that's WGNRadio.com, or you can go to j-dorty.com slash Cochran, and you will be able to listen to it over there. My perspective on generally the politics of this country, Trump administration, and uh, so much more. So... That is uh, the gist on the Mueller Report. We are 28 minutes into the podcast episode right now, just about that, actually probably less, Uh, but I am appreciative of everyone who is listening right now on the live stream, also uh, on the podcast, on the uh, pre-recorded version. You know, it's about to be the uh, 30-minute mark, so we got to take a break. We will be right back right here, right now on the Jay Doherty Podcast. The Jay Doherty Podcast is available almost everywhere on the JD Media Network. Get it live and right after on j-doherty.com or surf your favorite podcast directories right after the broadcast. The Jay Doherty Podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Podcast, Apple TV, the Blueberry Network, and we just started with iHeartRadio. Tune in anytime, anywhere. The Jay Doherty Podcast is online and on demand right here on the JD Media Network. For all the latest world and national news on technology, politics, and more, listen live to the Jay Doherty Podcast on j-doherty.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Jay Doherty Podcast. 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 Is breaking news on the Jay Doherty Podcast. Uh, now it looks like I'm getting some breaking news right now. The uh, president of... Uh, we have a great guest right near right now on the show today. Now we have a phenomenal uh, guest here on the show today joining me in studio. I'm very glad to have an in-guest studio today. Amazing interviews with amazing people. Hey everybody, this is David Axelrod of the Axe Files Podcast. Hey, this is Adam Heideman. Hi everyone, it's Congressman Joe Kennedy. This is Kevin Drum. This is Ryan Clark. Hey, this is Mike Heideman. Hi, this is Patrick Kennedy. And you're listening to the Jay Doherty Podcast. You're listening to the Jay Doherty Podcast. And 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 you are listening to the Jay Doherty Podcast. For all the latest world and national news on technology, politics, and more, listen live to the Jay Doherty Podcast on j-doherty.com. The Jay Doherty 
podcast is celebrating its 100th episode in a very special way. Tune in live on August 3rd, 2019 for a special live Q&A about behind-the-scenes production, politics, and anything you want. Call right now with your questions at 312-625-8492. The line is open for calls and texts 24-7, and I'll be answering all of the questions live right here on the Jay Doherty Podcast. Tune in live and submit your questions before Saturday, August 3rd, 2019 at 1 p.m. Call or text 312-625-8492 with your questions. You're listening to the Jay Doherty Podcast on the JD Media Network. For all the latest world and national news on technology, politics, and more, listen live to the Jay Doherty Podcast on j-doherty.com. Coming up on the Jay Doherty Podcast, music expert and TJDP chief entertainment correspondent Michael Heideman joins us live to discuss the recent Pitchfork Music Festival here in Chicago. Mike also gives us insight into his future experience at the internationally renowned Lollapalooza, which includes stars like Childish Gambino this is America. and Ariana Grande. I don't know what any of this means, but Mike will tell us all about it on the next episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Podcast episode 94, 1.45 p.m., Sunday, July 28th, 2019. We're broadcasting live right here from the TJDP International Headquarters and Studio. Say that jokingly and hyperbolically, but there is something that the former president, Barack Obama, tweeted out. We're going to get to it right here, right now, on the Jay Doherty Podcast. I also want to remind you, though, that episode 100 is coming up in just six more episodes, and we're doing a live question and answer, as you may have heard in the promo liners. Uh, And you can submit your questions or call them in. Call or text 312-625-8492. It's open 24-7, and you can uh, submit your questions there. Uh, for for me to answer live on the show. You can do it anytime and anywhere, and I will answer it right here on the Jay Doherty Podcast. We thank you for your listenership, and uh, yeah, we hope you answer as many questions about production, behind the scenes, uh, politics, my view on certain things, the, you know, just basically anything you want. So we'll talk about that in episode 100. That's six more episodes uh, that until we have that special edition of the podcast. we got to talk about Barack Obama and this uh, Washington Post op-ed that he promoted. The op-ed starts, we've heard this before, go back to where you came from. Go back to Africa, and now send her back. 
That's the first line of the whole op-ed. And uh, by the way, this op-ed was co-signed by 149 Democrats who have worked close to or with uh, Obama and basically just powerful black Democrats who are condemning formally uh, uh, Trump's very racist, uh, very blatantly um, just nasty tweets that he wrote uh, a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, just to remind you exactly what he said, Trump tweeted, so interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world if they even have a functioning government at all, now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix their totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how it is done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to arrange free travel arrangements. That's what he said. Go back. Show us show us how to fix your countries. Now, I don't know if anyone uh, consulted him on these tweets. They're not good tweets. They're terrible, and it's really bad to hear that from the President of the United States. Uh, merely anyone, of course, because anyone in their workplaces who told someone to go back to where they came from would face serious consequences and, in most cases, termination. They would get fired for things like that. And this man is the most powerful man in the world. His comments were not only racist, but they're also inaccurate. Uh, the members of the squad, which I don't think they should be deemed, even if it's a you know an endearing term, one that they gave themselves... These four uh, congresswomen are Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the 14th District of New York, Ilhan Omar, our 5th of Minnesota, uh, Rashida Tlaib, the 13th District of uh, Michigan, and Ayanna Presley, the 7th District of Massachusetts. Everyone except Omar in that group was born in the United States. She was a naturalized citizen, Omar, from Somalia, who immigrated against her will when she was 10 years old. Now, of course, the House held a hearing the day after this happened uh, where 235 Democrats voted to condemn Trump's comments. Four Republicans condemned him, condemned those comments. Will Hurd from Texas, the 23rd District, Susan Brooks from Indiana, the 5th District, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, the 1st District, and Fred Upton of uh, Michigan, the 6th District. I reached out to all of them for a comment. They just referred me to the tweets that they sent out, which I've read on past episodes of the podcast. But just a refresher, out of 435 members of the House of Representatives, 239 of them condemned Trump's words. 239 out of 435 condemned his blatantly racist attacks that have been equivocated to go back, go back to Africa, and now send her back. They're also using this send her back as a quote from his supporters. This has not been talked about, but if you notice, Trump never said the words send her back. But the chants, the chants that have happened from Trump and his supporters have been send her back. And that was at that uh, rally that he had the day after. Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. Now that chant goes on for about 13 seconds. Trump said he tried to stop it. 
He defended himself saying, you know, I didn't like what they said. I uh, tried to speak rather quickly when a reporter asked him. When your supporters last night were chanting, chanting, send her back, why didn't you stop them? Why didn't you ask them to stop saying that? Well, number one, I, I think I did. I started speaking very quickly. 13 it, seconds. It really was a loud, I disagree with it, by the way, but it was quite a chant. And uh, I felt a little bit badly about it. But I will say this, uh, I did, and I started speaking very quickly, but it started up rather, rather fast, as you probably know. 13 seconds is not uh, the quickest time period, especially for this president. As you can tell, he just goes on tweet storms in less than 13 seconds. As 149 African-Americans who served in the last administration, we witnessed firsthand the relentless attacks on the legitimacy of President Barack Obama, some of which were created by the uh, current president about his uh, birth uh, certificate and things like that. Just just pointing that out, but we'll continue, I'll continue reading this uh, part of the op-ed. The, uh, the relentless attacks on the legitimacy of, the pres of President Barack Obama and his family from front row seats to Americans' first black presidency. Of course, they're saying that they witnessed all of that. They go on to say, Witnessing racism in surge in our country, both during and after Obama's service and ours, has been a shattering reality, to say the least. But they also say it's provided jet fuel for the activism, especially in moments such as these. Now, I... Um, I that language tips some people off. It doesn't tip me off in this case, but I, I think this focuses so much on you being the activist and you trying to promote yourself. Now, it's not in this case, but when people use this language on things in, in, in social issues like these, it, it doesn't, it's not a good thing generally, at least the way I interpret it. You have to you have to act you have to be an activist but you don't have to call attention to yourself being the activist. You have to stand for something but you don't have to call attention to you you the person saying it. The person activating or active sorry acting against this. No, it's about the cause that you're standing for. It's not about you as the person. It's that you're doing something right. It's not about you publicizing yourself and oh by the way I'm doing something right. The uh, op-ed goes on to write, We stand with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Tlaib, as well as all of those currently under attack by President Trump, along with his supporters and his enablers who feel deputized to decide who belongs here and who does not. There is truly nothing more un-American than calling on fellow citizens to leave our country. They say we are red-blooded Americans, we, we are patriots, and we have plenty to say about the direction this country is headed. We decry voter suppression, we demand equitable access to health care, housing, equality, schools, and employment. We welcome new Americans with dignity and open arms, and we will never stop fighting for the overhaul of the criminal justice system with racist foundations. Now, Obama tweeted out, in a recent tweet, he said that... Uh, He's um, proud of his past members of his administration for, quote, continuing to fight for an America that is better. He tweet he said that, but he also had on his Twitter, he linked to this op-ed. So I'm just going to assume, in my interpretation, that Obama meant to reiterate everything in this op-ed, and then I'll interpret it as such. First of all, I just want to say this, this op-ed was perfect in length. It got the point across. I think it was very well written by uh, uh, members of 
of the Washington Post editorial stuff. These were actually, I, I didn't even, uh, I actually don't know too much about the, the author's backgrounds. I looked, I tried to look everyone up, and I couldn't find much about them, but it was very well written, and I assume uh, there was a lot of uh, work that went into it. So I just want to say to them, they did a very good job writing it, and, and they used perfect language, in my humble opinion. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I just want to, I, I just assume that I'm going to reiterate what Obama's kind of more, center-left policies and center-left presidential existence has now turned farther left because he reiterates by tweeting this out, quote, we stand with Congressman Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Tlaib, as well as those currently under attack by President Trump. And goes on to say other things as well. But I assume Obama is standing with them. Now, of course, he's not going to stand against them because he's a Democrat and he believes these things that, uh, that he, just like I do, that is in this op-ed. But, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's never been he outwardly left. He endorsed Hillary Clinton, of course, for many reasons. He was, she was the se- former Secretary of State to him. They're friends with the Clintons. He doesn't want to endorse Bernie, et cetera, et cetera. But Bernie was very far left. Ocasio-Cortez, Omar, and Presley and Tlaib are basically the definition of far left. And now he's saying that he's standing with them. And things like this have happened in the past. Now, of course, he thinks because, and I agree with this, this is a un- new level for Trump. He, he, we didn't think he could take it up a notch, but he did. And I think he will do that in the ne- in, for the rest of this term. And if he wins again, he'll do it even more in the next term. So... Basically, Obama is siding with the the farther left, saying, endorsing their comments, even though he's pretty quiet about things like this. That's the significance of this. Of course, he's going to side with them, but he chose this issue specifically to publicly take a stance against Trump, something that is basically in the handbook. You're not supposed to criticize a predecessor, which he hasn't done. He didn't even do it in this case. He just focused on this, on him, being an American. So that's the case. That is what's happening in this Washington Post article and this op-ed. I recommend you read it. It's not that uh, long. It's about a page long if you copy it on uh, Arial uh, 12, just for reference. Actually, a little bit less than a page, but I recommend you read it. We'll have the uh, uh, the the um, whole op-ed linked on the website, j com. That's J-A-Y-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. Now we got to talk about something, something very, very annoying to me, particularly annoying for uh, many, many reasons. Trump attacked Representative Elijah Cummings. Representative Elijah Cummings is a Maryland congressman. He represents the 7th District in which over 730,000 proud American citizens live. Maryland has a population of over 6 million. So just for a reference, 730,000 people live in his district. There's 6 million in Maryland. That's nearly a million people in his district alone. And 55% of those uh, 730,000 are African American. 35.8% are white. And the rest are uh, a mixture of other minorities like Hispanic, Asian, and and other racial and ethnic minorities. Trump tweeted out at Elijah Cummings pretty awful things, not just about him, which would I would justify as just politics, but he said awful, terrible things about his district and the people who live there. I'll start at the beginning. 
Representative Elijah Cummings has been a brutal bully shouting and screaming at the great men and women of the Border Patrol about conditions at the southern border, when actually his Baltimore district is far worse and more dangerous. His district is considered the worst in the USA. Why is so much money sent to Elijah Cummings' district when it's, con when it's uh, considered the worst run and most dangerous anywhere in the United States? And now here's the really bad part. He said no human being would want to live there. It's an awful thing to say, Mr. President. You represent this. But I'll continue reading and come back to this. Trump goes on to say in the same tweet, Where is all this money going? How much is stolen? Investigate this corrupt mess immediately. Well, even though, Mr. President, Elijah Cummings represents this particular district, you, as the president, represent this just as much as, as North Carolina, West Virginia, Michigan, all the states that voted for you. If you really cared and you weren't just trying to score political points or, you know, go back at Elijah Cummings, you would fix it. You're just buying into this political game. And, of course, Cummings' attacks is basically, I mean, they are basically out of nowhere uh, in terms of their relationship. Now, of course, Cummings has uh, said many things about Donald Trump. Constructive criticism, I might add, in many congressional hearings. He's a very powerful congresswoman, congressman. He chairs many committees. But I'm just saying that if Trump really cared and really thought that no human being would want to live in his district, he would be out there fixing it. He has the power to do that, more power than Cummings himself. So if Trump really wants to do this, he really wants to fix it, go there and do it yourself. That's my advice to you, Trump. Cummings has been in the Senate since 1996. That's 23 years. You've been in the office for two years. And you haven't really, uh, I mean, in terms of, you just promoted a bunch of policy that you didn't even write. So, I'm just saying, if you really cared, you would go out there and fix it. And he doesn't care, so he's not going to fix it. At 10 o'clock last night, uh, Trump tweeted out several videos of Baltimore uh, and the allegedly terrible conditions. That's 15 hours after he tweeted originally. And in the middle of all of this, just randomly, he said, As proven last week on our congressional tour, the border is clean, efficient, and well-run, just very crowded. Cummings District is a disgusting, rat- and rodent-infested mess. If he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could clean this up, uh, clean up this very dangerous, and filthy place. Now, Trump most likely tweeted this after seeing and in response to remarks that Cummings made in a congressional hearing on detention facilities on July 18th, in which Cummings questioned uh, acting Department of Homeland Security Chief Kevin McAleenan, and, uh, I mean, he just stumbled upon this now. Who knows what prompted him to attack him in the first place? We're doing our level best in a very... What does that mean? What does that mean when a child is sitting in their own feces, can't take a shower? Come on, man. What's that about? None of us would have our children in that position. They are human beings. That is... Elijah Cummings, and the guy you heard speaking again was uh, Acting Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan. He was advocating for a legitimate point. And Trump must have just asked his staff to go through all the bad things that Cummings has said about Trump so then he can continue his angry rants on Twitter because 
he just randomly tweeted out in the middle of all these 15 hours uh, yesterday at about 10 o'clock or even a little bit before. He said, as proven last week on our congressional tour, the border is clean, efficient, well run, just very crowded. That's not true. You can see pictures. And uh, he is literally just promoting false propaganda. I mean, that's just his Twitter feed. And if you believed everything in his Twitter feed, I'm not going to lie. If you believe that, he would be the best president that's ever walked the face of this earth. Literally, I, 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 if, 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 if you're a supporter of Trump and you've based everything you know about him strictly off of what you've seen on his Twitter feed, he is the best president that has ever lived, that has ever walked the face, the best leader, the best king, the best anything you could ever imagine in this world. Just completely untrue and blatantly delusional, which doesn't do much for him and basically delegitimizes everything that I just said. And fortunately, this is reality and uh, we're not living in his Twitter feed. In response to these many attacks, totally unnecessary and prompted from nothing, at least nothing directly, Cummings wrote, Mr. President, I go home to my district daily. Each morning I wake up and I go fight for my neighbors. It is my constitutional duty to conduct oversight of the executive branch, but it's my moral duty to fight for my constituents. Then he wrote, Just yesterday I held a hearing on the skyrocketing prices of prescription drugs and the financial hardships that families across the nation and in Baltimore are facing. Mr. President, we can address this together. Two years ago, I went to the White House to ask you to endorse my bill to let the government negotiate directly for lower drug prices. I think that was the perfect response. Elijah Cummings had the perfect response, undoubtedly, in my opinion. Very, very classy. Because... He, he said, you know, one thing about his duties as the president, he defended himself very briefly, but not abruptly. He just said, I go home to my district daily. He reports what he did. And even if Cummings District, which you look at the statistics, it does have a lot of problems, to be fair to the president. But to saying that no human being wanted to live there, that 730,000 potential voters, 730,000 people that are Americans, 730,000 people which you represent as the President of the United States. I mean, you just look at the logic. If Trump cared, he would fix it. He has the power to fix it. He has more power than Cummings to fix it. That's why it gets me so mad. That's why when he says 730,000 people don't want to live in a district, many of which who have lived there their whole entire lives and call it home, and fifty, and it's a very you know, poor neighborhood, to say that no one would want to live there in your own country, one that you represent? I mean, what is this? He hasn't changed. He called, uh, you know, African countries, asshole countries. He's called... Um, you know, he he said terrible things about people not wanting to live in certain places, not just abroad, but at home as well, which is a huge low for the president. This past These past four weeks, terrible, terrible for the president. Seriously. But I hope it gets better. I really hope it does. And I hope someone with moderate sanity gets into this presidential office. 53 minutes and 19 seconds is what I have on my clock here for the podcast. A little bit of a long episode today, but I, there was a lot I wanted to share, and I'm glad I shared it all with you. The Jay Doherty Podcast is broadcasted live on uh, the website, j-doherty.com. Schedule is always subject to change, but you can sign up from the newsletter for alerts at j-story.com. You can also call into the show live at 312-625-8492. Leave a voicemail, and I'll play it on the air if it is relevant. 
I get a lot of voicemails. Uh, I a lot of times reiterate and answer questions kind of uh, subtly without particularly announcing them. But on episode 100, I will uh, give you a shout out. Read your area code. See where you listen. We have listeners all across the country, even the world. I saw. I was looking at the statistics earlier. There's like a about 30% of people, at least according to some statistic, listening in Canada. So thank you for listening. I also want to just say, if you've ever looked at the algorithm into iTunes, they use a filter popular to popular podcasts, and uh, I just want to let you know how valuable it would be to this podcast and the development of it. If you were to give a decent review, or just your review in general, if you hate it, let me know. One star, please. But if you love it, five star. 100th episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast is coming up. Listen to the live special edition of the podcast, or... Listen to it on your favorite podcast directory. We're available almost everywhere on the JD Media Network. Thanks to them, of course. It's 207, Sunday, July 28th, 2019. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about everything. We're going to have a special guest in the studio, Chief Entertainment Correspondent for the J. Doherty Podcast. Michael Eidemann will join us live in the studio to talk about the recent Pitchfork Music Festival and the internationally renowned Lollapalooza event. Stay tuned for that. It's all coming up on the Jay Doherty Podcast, episode number 95. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.